This is episode 23 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Hello and welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, episode number 23. In the previous episode of this podcast, episode number 22, I outlined for you many of the details regarding my recent stroke that occurred on December 29th, 2016. I've gotten a lot of comments, emails, and feedback on that episode. Thank you so much for listening and sharing your thoughts and feelings. This episode continues that journey, revealing information that further extends our knowledge about the nature and prevention of strokes. Since I've had my stroke, I've met many others that have also encountered such experiences. In this episode, I will tell you where my recovery stands at this point and what problems remain for me. I will share with you the valuable information that I received in my follow-up appointment with the neurology specialist. I will also present an update to my current understanding of the arterial plaque buildup issue that I am trying to address. And of course, I will provide an update on several things I have uncovered in my continuing research in the areas of strokes. This includes information about the nature of arterial plaque buildup and its connection to genetics. If your genetics originates from the southern hemisphere of our planet, you will want to pay attention to this section. This episode will also contain an update on how I will manage myself going forward to reduce the risk of this happening again. The show notes pages for both episode 22 and this one 23 are both about strokes and they are being updated on a regular basis. If you would like to be notified for when these pages are updated, please subscribe to our website for updates. Instructions for doing that appear on the show notes pages themselves. I want to remind everyone that the timestamps in the audio file for the list of topics that we have discussed in episode 22 is on the show notes page, so you can move directly to the topic that interests you without bothering with the portions that you are not interested in. Please take advantage of that to review any information that calls out to you. And another announcement, I have something special for all of those who have subscribed to the website. Many of you have asked me for text transcripts of these stroke episodes. I have decided that this is a worthwhile thing to provide and will be making arrangements to acquire these in the very near future. If you prefer to read rather than to listen, or if you would like to share this podcast information more easily, please sign up for our website updates on the Inner Game of Aging website. You'll receive these transcripts automatically just for being part of the Insiders Club. And as always, if you enjoy the information and find it helpful to you and your life, please share this with those around you who would also enjoy and find it useful. Many of us need the message of growing older and not old. 
Help your loved ones stay younger with more vitality by sharing this message. The show notes page makes this very easy for you. And you can find the show notes page at innergameofaging.com forward slash IGA23. In case you didn't know that you can find the show notes page for any of the podcast episodes by using the following URL pattern. InnerGameOfAging.com forward slash IGA followed by the episode number, in this case, IGA23. At present, about two months after leaving the hospital, I feel sometimes almost completely recovered. I have returned to working out, although time and emotions have prevented me from working out as much as I would like. The keyboard still shows me a few places where I still must continue to practice, and I also feel a kind of scatterbrainedness as I organize my chores and tasks or attempt to gather myself to leave the house for an, an appointment. And there are times when my emotions seem somewhat fragile. But for the most part, I am able to function as I did before. I would like to go into a few details that might help us to understand more closely what stroke recovery is all about, at least for Lee Mowat. Neuroplasticity has been alive and kicking in my brain. What is neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity refers to the ability of our brains to reorganize itself both physically and functionally all throughout our lives due to environment, behavior, thinking, and even emotions. Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging, fMRI, this technology allows us to see the brain as this morphing is taking place thus leaving no doubt in scientific circles that the brain changes itself based on its own experiences. In order for neuroplasticity to take effect, scientists have listed a few conditions that promote these brain changes. I'd like to mention a few of these conditions because they apply to me as I recovered from my stroke and for the most part account for the speed at which I recovered. Condition number one, research says that the brain has to be in the mood for change in order to turn on the neuroplasticity switches. When you are disengaged, inattentive, distracted from what you are doing, or doing something that doesn't require much thought or effort, then the neuroplasticity switches are turned off. The brain does not change under those conditions. The second condition that encourages neuroplasticity, according to research, is if you are intensely focused on a task and are really trying to master something for an important reason, the change experienced in the brain will be greater. This was an important factor for me. I needed to recover not just for my own personal purposes, but to produce episode 22, which shares all of this information with all of you. That became my driving force and motivated so much of my practice. A third factor controlling neuroplasticity is that the brain changes are initially only temporary. 
The brain first records the change and then determines later if it should make the change permanent or not. It only becomes permanent if your brain judges the experience to be fascinating or novel enough or the behavioral outcome is important. So practice becomes important to let the brain know that what is being practiced should be permanently recorded. I can't describe this to you, but I felt many times during my practice sessions the formation of new pathways forming in my cranium. I know this sounds ludicrous and I don't expect you to understand, but there were many times during my practice sessions that, well, I felt a buzzing in my head and I can just imagine the activity taking place in my skull. Of course, this was just imaginary, but it, sometimes it did feel real to me. But despite the recovery, I still sometimes feel somewhat scatterbrained or disorganized. This is especially evident when I am preparing to leave the house for an appointment or a chore. I'm often making two and three trips to and from the car to retrieve items that I forgot to bring along with me. But I can slowly feel this improving as well. And my handwriting has essentially returned. As long as I am paying attention to writing, it looks just as sloppy as it did before my stroke. But if my attention drifts away from my hand while I'm writing, then what ends up on that paper is anybody's guess. Also, in the previous episode, I mentioned this left side deficit. I've also mentioned this in a speech that I gave in Nashua. At this point, it does not appear to be a factor at all. It appears that my deliberate practice of paying attention to what is on the left side of me has worked out very well. For those of you who remember from the last episode, practicing this out of existence wasn't too hard at all, since all I had to do was pay attention to the left side of any woman I spoke to. And by the way, I am still practicing this out of existence. I just try not to be too obvious about it. One of the important things to do upon leaving the hospital in December was to follow through on the care and information they had given me in the hospital. It was important that we analyze more completely what was causing the carotid stenosis that triggered my stroke. I could not believe how busy the stroke centers are in our area. I had to struggle with my wife and I making daily phone calls to get a neurology appointment that didn't take me three months of waiting to get to. Are there that many people having strokes that made the nearby stroke centers so busy? There are two stroke centers in my area, the biggest one being Mass General Hospital in Boston. But they were offering me appointment dates that were at least two months ahead from where we were at the present time. I felt very uncomfortable waiting that long to find out more details of what I could do to prevent another stroke. Another stroke center in Lebanon, New Hampshire, offered appointment dates that were better to my liking, although they were a 91-mile drive away. But strokes are known to happen in fairly close 
succession, so I did not want to extend my time much more before seeing a specialist. But the runaround and the paperwork involved in making this happen was almost a daily exercise. We finally made an appointment with the Lebanon, New Hampshire Stroke Center. The doctor was a young lady I estimated to be in her early 30s. Apparently, she had spent some time reviewing my scans before I walked into the office. They were prominently displayed on her computer screen. She looked at me and then back at the scans for a few minutes. She appeared somewhat confused as she turned to me and indicated that what she was seeing in the scans was not a minor stroke. She indicated that the damage to my brain was on the surface of the brain rather than the interior. It also appeared that the damage flowed along a particular artery in the brain as if blood had been restricted from that entire artery. She was quite articulate as she taught me how to view the scans for the damage. For those of you who are interested, I have included my scans on the show notes page for this episode. She spent some time evaluating me looking for stroke damage. She had me walk a straight line on the floor, stand on one leg for a few seconds, watch me track my pupils and see if they dilated properly, tested my ability to swallow, and asked my wife a few questions about my behavior. She even tested the symmetry of my strength. After another quick peek at the scans, she she said, I can see the damage on the images, but you appear to have recovered rather quickly. She said she expected to see more damage based on what she was seeing in the scans. Recovered rather quickly. That seems to be a common impression when talking to people. They tell me I don't feel like a person who has just had a stroke. I still wonder about that. Coming home from the hospital, I couldn't even put on my jacket, nor could I type. I couldn't enter passwords or keep myself organized enough to work at my desk. Now, none of this is a problem, although I still wish I was able to work faster than I am. One of the things we discussed with the doctor is cholesterol, as it plays a role in arterial plaque buildup. We learned once again that the way our bodies use cholesterol has a very heavy genetic component. The doctor was from Brazil, where heart disease is extremely prevalent. She indicated that she has the same genetic tendency toward this kind of plaque buildup as I do. The key to managing this type of genetic tendency is to go beyond the guidelines for HDL cholesterol. In other words, to raise the HDL cholesterol as high as we can get it. This will serve to protect us from the bad effects of our unused LDL cholesterol. HDL levels above 60 should be the goal. I will be looking at my HDL levels and looking to raise them in upcoming months. So the plan moving forward is to switch to the statins that I take to one that not only lowers the LDL, but also raises the HDL. But here I have to be cautious in reaching this conclusion. Those people who have naturally high HDL levels are at a lower risk for heart attack and strokes. But statistical analysis of those who have raised their HDL through medication do not bear out the same benefit as those who have naturally high HDL levels. 
but I will proceed with the plan that will raise my HDL as well as lower my LDL at least for the next three months. At the end of that time, I have scheduled another brain scan, or I will schedule another brain scan, and we will explore the differences between the two sets of images to see if my cranial arteries are looking any better. The plan for management of this condition will be determined by the comparison of these two sets of images. The lower limit for acceptable HDL levels is 40 micrograms per deciliter. My test results typically come back between 45 and 50. At this point, I will be looking for higher numbers than I had before at my next checkup. My goal will be numbers in excess of 60. And once I achieve that with the use of statins, I will begin to taper off them and increase the lifestyle factors that support those levels of HDL. At least for the next three, three months, this will be the strategy that I will be taking. I feel it is important to emphasize here that even people with good cholesterol levels can develop arterial plaque buildup, and I feel it is important to understand why this is the case. It is the lipoproteins that interact with the arterial wall and initiate the development of plaque leading to arterial sclerosis. Cholesterol is only one of the many components of this lipoprotein. So if after three months the narrowing in my carotid artery does not appear to have improved significantly, then the next step would be to analyze this plaque to see just what lipoproteins are causing it. Armed with that information, we can adjust our strategy moving forward to better handle the problem. Since statins tend to deplete our bodies of a valuable enzyme called Co CoQ10, it is important to replenish this by taking a CoQ10 supplement. So right along with the statins that have been prescribed for me, I will also be taking this supplement. I would recommend this for anyone taking a statin. However, this supplement is rather expensive, so prepare for a sticker shock. So I hope this short episode explains clearly enough how I will be moving forward to assure that I stay safe in the brain. We will see if taking the proper amount of statins along with the CoQ10 supplement, as well as all the other healthy lifestyle practices that I already have, can produce healthier looking cranial arteries within three months time. Follow me on this journey by subscribing for, to website updates on the show notes page. After all, this is information I'd like to share with all of you as well. And I want to remind you that I've collected a fair amount of resources regarding strokes on my show notes page for this episode and the previous one. Please visit that page and take advantage of all the resources that are there. And you can get to the show notes page for this episode using the following URL. InnerGameOfAging.com forward slash IGA23. 
The show notes for both of these episodes will be updated from time to time. So again, sign on to the show notes page to receive notifications of when these pages have been updated. And I have something new for those who subscribe to website updates. Many of you have asked me for text transcriptions of a few of these episodes. I am currently making provisions to provide exactly that. By joining the Insiders Club on the website, you can get access to these transcriptions when they become available. This becomes very handy if you would like to email the text of this podcast to a loved one who may not be as familiar with podcasting as you may be. Having text transcriptions makes it so much easier for you to share the information that's been contained in these two podcast episodes. It is all there on the show notes page where you can also leave your comments and feedback. If you or anyone you love has any experience with strokes, why not tell us your story on the show notes page? I would love to interview other stroke survivors to see what their recovery was like and to compare notes. If you know of such a person and would like, that would like to be a guest on this podcast, please let me know and I will reach out to them. Up ahead, we have more information for you about elder law, about caring for people with dementia, and how we are spreading the message of growing older without growing old. So subscribe on the podcast player to the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Visit the show notes page and share as much as you can with those who could also use this message. And so until next time... Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Lee Mo Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com. That's theinnergameofaging, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.